0: As far as today. Let me, let me ask you a question as we start. Have you ever been wrong about something you just knew that you were right about? <laughs> yeah. A lot of husbands nodding there. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Interesting. But, but like, like say you get like in a heated discussion, argument, Facebook thread. I don't know. But, but you're, just, you're just peppering somebody. And you just know you're Right? And then they come back with something, and you go, don't. and you know you're wrong, and you're just like, uh, "What? What? What? What?" Well, well, let me ask you a question. Some of you folks would still argue, okay? Some of you would know that you're wrong and keep going, y'all, yeah, but y'all, yeah, but y'all, yeah, but okay. And I'm one of those people, more than likely. But have you ever just been in a place where you just got proven wrong, and you went, "Huh." I'm wrong. I, I, I would kind of try to save face there. There's sort of a, a defeatist attitude when you think about getting in that position. And, and again, I have been in that, that position a few times. I'm just adamant about my argument. And then I get silenced. Dope. It's an awful feeling to be in that spot. And hopefully we can learn from what we're wrong about. And, and correct our thinking and our actions. But to be in that spot and to be helplessly and hopelessly wrong and just realizing that in the moment, not a good feeling. Well, our old friends the Pharisees are about to find themselves in that very situation in today's passage that we're looking at. We're going to finish Matthew 22 today. We're going to read verses 41 to 46 and if you would, please stand one more time before we end. So you'll stand now and you'll stand at the end. No more standing after that. I don't know. Here we go. We stand because this is the very Word of God. Matthew twenty-two forty-one 41 through 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the perfection of your word, your plan, your Christ. And I pray that as we dive into this passage today that by the power of your Spirit, you would instruct us, help us, teach us, correct us, and God, may we have nothing to say except words that honor, glorify, and praise you. And Father, if there be those here this morning who do not know you, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, life to them, and that they would exhibit saving faith and confess Jesus as their Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so we're in the last week of Jesus' life. I think it's still Wednesday. I don't know. This in last week stuff is just confusing to me. If anybody's got clarity on that, I'll I'll shut my mouth and after the service and you can tell me what's going on. I think we're still on Wednesday, okay? Um and well, let me just jump into 41 there. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together. Jesus asked them a question. So we've seen Jesus in the temple all throughout the week, this last week of his life. And over and over and over again, people have confronted him. They have asked him questions. And now we've got a little bit of turnabout, right? Which is fair play, right? Um, after question upon question upon question by Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees, who you bees, what your thoughts, and on and on, now Jesus asks them a question. He initiates this. Now before he'd ask them a question, but he said, I won't answer your question unless you answer my question. Here he just comes out of the blue and he initiates the question. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. So we've seen Jesus approached by inquisitive, instigating, insincere individuals and groups, mostly fueled by these scheming Pharisees. So here, in this moment, just a couple of days before they have him killed, Jesus turns the tables on them. With them gathered together there to try to intimidate and or stump him, Jesus asks them a question. And watch this question. It is a beauty. It is a beaut. Although it might seem like a no brainer to us, and it really seems like a no brainer to them. Verse 42 Saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. Now, like I said, this question and its corresponding answer seems like a layup just an easy shot by the way people don't follow basketball a layup is an easy shot okay you're supposed to make your layups you don't make layups you run laps free throws too you remember don knuckles coached for mullins years ago won several state championships he had a guy that was missing free throws in the game and he made him shoot free throws the entire halftime until they came back don't miss your free throws okay So this is one of those questions. It's supposed to be an easy question in their mind. They see it as an easy question. It's an absolute, oh, everybody knows this kind of question in their mind. But don't underestimate Jesus. Look at what he says and what he asks. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now there are a lot of implications in those 11 words, in those two sentences. You don't have to count them. I promise it's 11 words. Two questions, actually. Two sentences. Look at the first one. What do you think about the Christ? So Jesus puts the ball squarely in their court, asking for their thoughts. What do you think? And that word, think, is actually a pretty interesting phrasing. <clears throat> in the original language, let me just read you some things that it means. Suppose, seem good, please, to be of opinion to be accounted, reputed. It seems to me, is kind of the literal wording there, I think and thus I judge. It seems good to me. I'm pleased to say this. I have determined this. So in light of that definition, Jesus is asking what they think, what they suppose, what pleases them as a personal conclusion. What do you think? What thoughts go through your mind? How do you process it? About what? About the Christ. Now, this is a really big concept and a really big deal here, okay? Most of you are probably familiar with it, but let's look at this word Christ and no, it's not Jesus' last name, okay? In case some of y'all think that, feel that, it's not. It's not Jesus' last name. The word Christ is translated Christos in the Greek language and it means anointed. And that term anointed is about someone being sprinkled or having oil poured over them to signify them being appointed to an office. Anointed and appointed. We see in the Old Testament that kings were anointed. 1 Samuel 16, 12 and 13. And he sent and brought him in. This is when David is being anointed. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So kings were anointed. We also see prophets anointed in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 19, 14-16. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, which is funny, by the way, not anything to do with our message, but, but like God is telling his prophet to anoint foreign kings, which is crazy. That's not what we're talking about, though. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. So we've got kings, we've got prophets. And you probably know and probably making the connections here. Who else was anointed? Priests, right? Exodus 28, 40-41. For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with them. And you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. So there was an anointing process for the purpose of we're pouring this oil on you. And since we are pouring this oil on you, it means that you will be a priest. It means that you will be a prophet. It means that you will be a king. So to be anointed... Meant to be set aside. To be consecrated for a specific role and purpose. Now bring that back to this concept of the Christ. The Christ, the anointed, or as the Old Testament would translate the word, the Messiah, the Mashiach. Hebrew is so fun. I don't know anything about it, but I like to go, that's fun. Mashiach, the Christ, the Messiah, was the one promised to be deliverer and forever king of Israel. And there are a lot of passages in the Old Testament that speak of this one who would be anointed Israel's forever ruler. And I want to point to one in particular, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison... "...to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified." Now, if that passage looks or sounds familiar to you, more so than other prophecies of the Messiah... This is the passage that Jesus read when he went to Nazareth early on in his ministry. And they gave him the scroll to read. And what they would do at that time is they would read through the scroll in a systematic way. And a visiting rabbi was given the privilege of reading the scroll of the law where they were at. So Jesus just happens to show up in Nazareth. And this just happens to be the passage that he reads in the public reading. And so let me let me take you there Luke 4:16 through 21. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now watch this. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The rabbi sat down to teach. He was getting ready to teach. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Ooh. Now again, remember, the nation of Israel as a whole had been waiting for, looking for this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed deliverer for hundreds of years, over 1000 really over a thousand years. The one who would free them, deliver them, exalt them again. And here comes this poor, no-name rabbi from Nazareth, back to Nazareth, saying that he is the anointed one. Now how'd that go? Look at the rest of the story. Luke 4, 22-30. And all spoke well of him. And marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, hold on a second. That's my own... I inserted that. That's not in the sacred text. Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them. "...but only to Zarephath in the the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian." So what Jesus is saying is, now you've heard what I said. And you're all smiles and happy. Oh, this guy's speaking good words. But wait a second. Isn't this Joseph's son? So Jesus is saying what's going to happen is what happened in Israel back in the day, there were all kinds of lepers in the land of Israel, but a foreigner came in and he got healed. There were all kinds of widows in Israel, but it was a foreign widow that God provided for. And a prophet's not without honor except in his own hometown. You're not going to honor me. You're missing what I just said, which is that I am the Christ. And since you missed it, I'm going to go to people who will get it. How do you think they react to that? When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Boy, they went from this guy, we like him, good words, to we want to kill him. Why? Because he announced that he was the Christ... He didn't fit their mold. They started doing human reasoning. This is Joseph's son. This can't be the Christ. Jesus says, you're going to miss it. I'm going to go to people who will get it. And it's not going to be you. And they want to kill him. But passing through their midst, he went away. Which is awesome, by the way. So at first it was like, oh, he's a nice guy. But then Jesus told them that they would reject him. And that made them mad, mad enough to try to kill him. Why? Because he was saying that he was indeed the Messiah. But that they would not recognize that. And then miss the promised blessing of the Messiah. And they were not about to have that. Because they had their minds made up. They had the picture of the Messiah and his deliverance firmly in mind. And it was what they had set every hope that they had on. And Jesus is saying, you're going to miss it. And it made them so mad they wanted to kill Him. You see, in their minds, back in Nazareth, this is near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in their minds, the Messiah was their ticket to prominence. Their ticket to power. Their ticket to blessing, honor, influence. The Messiah was their ticket to crowning the nation of Israel as the leader, the head in God's worldwide plan. That's what they had expected from their Messiah. So, this Messiah deal was prominent, or better said, preeminent in the minds and heart of the Jews. So back to where we are today in Matthew 22. And Jesus asks this question about what? He asks the Pharisees, what do you think about the Christ? Well, they thought about the Christ the same thing those people in Nazareth thought about the Christ. Okay? Okay? They were looking for the coming of the Messiah to deliver the nation, to purify the religion, and of course, in their minds, to reward them for their obviously exemplary piety. That's what they thought about the Christ. But that was just the first part of Jesus' question, which set them up for the more important, more telltale part of the question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, as much as we just explored the Christ concept, this is even more important. Okay? So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Whose son is He? Whose son is the Messiah? Now, this is going to be more important to figure out how they answer, what they answer. Because all of Israel, from the youngest to the oldest, would have answered this question exactly like the Pharisees did. When they answered, He is the son of David. Let me explain that a bit. All through Matthew, we've said that Matthew's purpose was to display Jesus as what? The king. Okay? He has gone to great pains to show Jesus as the king of Israel, which would mean that he was the Messiah, by the way. Actually, the very first verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, if you were going to be king in Israel, you had to be the son of David. Why? Jesus traces this genealogy through Abraham and up through David because God had made a covenant with David way back in the day. 2 Samuel, I'm going to read 4 through 13. Uh, So David says he wants to build a, a temple for the Lord. Nathan says, do what's in your heart. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, God saying to David, thus says the Lord of hosts, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now this is big. This is big block, all capital letters in the hearts and minds of the people of Israel. Because a son of David is coming. Who will be the forever king of Israel. Some of what God said there was fulfilled with Solomon. But not all of it. Solomon's dead, right? Solomon didn't reign forever. Solomon's not going to reign forever. So every Jew, every single Jew looked back to this promise as an indicator that the long-awaited Messiah would come from David's line. One of David's descendants would sit upon a throne that would last how long? Forever. And that forever king was the promised Messiah. So, whose son is the Messiah? Well, duh, everybody knows that. Ask my kindergartner. Ask my baby who's just now starting to speak. He knows that we're looking for the son of David. And Jesus knew that they would answer that way. (laughs) But watch this. He has set and baited the trap. And they have walked headlong into it. Verses 43 through 45. He said to them, Jesus said to the Pharisees, How is it then that David... In the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Okay, so we got to dig in here too. Okay, this, this passage looked pretty innocuous to me and then I started studying I'm like, oh wow. Note how this starts in verse 43. Jesus hears their answer to his question. And he starts his response with, how is it then that? Now, it doesn't take a real smart feller to see that he's about to undo their simple answer to his question, right? If the Messiah is to be David's son, how is it then that? So from the get-go here, we know Jesus is going to expose some fault in their ingrained thinking. And from there, he quotes David, whose son the Pharisees had said the Messiah would be. But not just David. Look again. How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls Him Lord? Now hold up a second. Stop the press. Jesus is saying that what He's about to say that David said actually comes from where? Actually comes from whom? David, in the Spirit. So Jesus is clearly indicating that whatever He's about to say that David said actually originated from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Not David's Spirit, but God's Spirit. What David said, which we'll look at in a moment, which is recorded in the Old Testament, was breathed out by God's Spirit. So this is a pretty big deal. It's a thus saith the Lord kind of deal. And what does David say in the Spirit? Well, Jesus says that David calls the Messiah Lord, meaning that David would be subservient to this Messiah. And if David calls the Messiah Lord, David is, in and by the Spirit of God, making a clear statement about this Messiah. How so? Well, Jesus quotes Psalm 110, which is a psalm that David wrote, which, by the way, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Really has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. It's just kind of weird. But it's, it's, it's that there's a lot of reference back to this psalm in the New Testament. Okay? So this is a psalm that David wrote, and Jesus refers to it by saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And this quote comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. I want to read, bear with me all seven verses of Psalm 110. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We've read that. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the whole earth. He will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. Now, we're not going to really get into that too much. I just wanted you to see it in context. So Jesus quoted the first verse of this psalm, considered to be a messianic psalm by the Jews universally accepted as a messianic psalm. And he quotes this in response to the Pharisees. And in this psalm, the Messiah is said to be told by God, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So, God, the first Lord mentioned here. Okay, now keep this straight. we got two Lords going on here. And if you'll look here, that word Lord first is all capital letters. It's probably the same in your Bible. Hopefully it is. If the rendering in your Bible is in all capital letters, get a new Bible. Okay? Because that's important. Because this is the, uh, the, the proper name of God. We say Yahweh, but the Jews would not speak or write this name at all. They would only render it YHWH. And today we, we refer to it as the Tetragrammaton. Which just means four letters. That's all that means. They revered the name of God so much as revealed to Moses when God had said to tell the Hebrews that I am had sent him. That I am name is translated Yahweh. They didn't want to mispronounce it. They didn't want to misspell it. And they revered it so much they would not risk mispronouncing or misspelling it. So they just did the four letters. And that was the proper name of God. The holy name of God. So that's the first Lord in Psalm 110. And anytime you see the all capital Lord, that's what it's referring to. And this Lord, the Lord God, says to David's Lord. Now that second Lord up there, rendered in our Bibles as capital L, then lowercase o-r-d, is the Hebrew word translated Adonai, which means master. Which is also used of God, just not the proper unspeakable name of God. And masters, governors, leaders would have also been called Adonai, indicating Lord or Master. So get this straight. The Lord says to my Lord, so God says to God. The Lord says to David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now the right hand of the king was a place of honor, power, privilege and authority. And just so we can see this deal sealed, if we jump forward to Acts, as they're stoning Stephen. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's interesting. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So who's at the right hand of God? Jesus is. Okay? So David says, My Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, God says to God, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the Son of Man, Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus has called himself the Son of Man over and over and over again in our trek through Matthew. His favorite title for himself. So then Jesus says back in our passage from Matthew today, if, Dave, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? So you Pharisees and really all you Jews, you're looking for David's son who you're calling your Messiah to come and free and deliver you. Well, if this Messiah is David's son, why does David call him Lord? Why does David call him God? And it's easy to miss the gotcha moment in this. But what Jesus is doing is exposing they're not properly knowing who He is. Who Jesus is. They're looking for a human king, a descendant of David, to come fill Israel's throne. And then God will set up His kingdom on earth and reign and rule forever. But what Jesus is showing them is that this son of David, this son of man, will well, also the son of God. He will be man and God. They're looking for God to raise up a great man. But Jesus is saying the Messiah will be the God-man sent from heaven. A Messiah who will explode all of their preconceived notions, all of their selfish ambitions, all of their nationalistic zeal. This descendant of David will be the Ancient of Days that Daniel had foretold whose kingdom will know no end. We sing about it this morning predominantly. And the reference in Psalm 110 would be true as well. When verse 4 said, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind, you are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. This forever king will also be a forever priest. And this Messiah will be the one who will fulfill Moses' words back in Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among you, from your brothers, it is to Him you shall listen. Yes, this Messiah will be a forever prophet, priest, and king sent from God to speak the word of God, to instruct the people of God, and to rule over every work of God forever. How in the world could a man, a made from dust descendant of David, fill this role in this throne? He could not. So God had to come Himself born supernaturally as a man, live a perfect life and conquer the very domain of those opposing him and then sit down in the place of power, privilege and authority on his throne with his enemies as his footstool. Jesus just literally described himself as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the only perfect descendant of David and blew up the whole human race's view of God's plan for redemptive history. And he said, the Messiah will be God's son and a descendant of David. And so what you're looking for, Pharisees, is not coming. What the scriptures were prophesying and foretelling has come. And you are missing it because I am God and I am man. And I am the Messiah. Now how do you figure that goes over? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. They have a don't moment. They can't argue with him. He got them. He silenced them. He shut them up. Jesus drops the mic, and nobody picks it up. No one was able to answer him a word. So quickly answered his question about whose son the Christ is when he first asked it. They knew that answer. But then came the how is it then that section, and it shut their mouths cold. No rebuttals, no refutations, no ifs, ands, or buts. Nobody, nothing. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Granted, that's just two more days because we're in the last week of Jesus' life. But all the needling, all the poking, prodding, and harassment of the religious elite would stop here until they unjustly try him in their kangaroo court the night before his crucifixion. They know he bested them. They know he's indicating that this Son of God and Son of Man is him because he'd made these claims before. And they will intensify their efforts to end him now. Before they had said, we don't want to do it during the festival because the crowd will get upset. Now they're like, you know what, forget it. we got to kill this guy now. They will not stop, even during the hubbub of the Passover until they snuff this no-name rabbi out, this no-name rabbi who was actually the very Lord of lords. And so the pieces continue to move, the dominoes continue to fall, all according to the foreordained plan of God. They're going to kill him on Passover because he is the perfect Passover lamb. And as these pieces fall, God's plan is coming to fruition right in front of their eyes. And they miss it. And it will be their ultimate ruin. And Jesus' ultimate victory. A lot there, isn't there? There's is a big passage. So, how do we apply it? We got three-dimensional application day, three Ds. David, oh, I miss doctrine, and I'm going to save the last one until we get to it. Okay. Okay. So the first application point is David. <laughs> You're like what? <laughs> How do you apply David? David? Listen, please listen to me, church, individually and corporate. God's covenant with David means that Jesus will be king forever. We read that portion of 2 Samuel 7 earlier, but I want to revisit verse 13 in 2 Samuel 7. He he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This... Establish the throne of his kingdom for everything is fulfilled by Jesus. I want to quote a well known presidential candidate Jesus is king. (laughs) Jesus is king. He's king now, and he's going to be king forever. There is no world leader, elected or self-appointed or royal born who will rule forever. But Jesus will. God promised it. And that promise, hey, or at least it should, Jesus is king. Jesus is sovereign over the affairs of this world. Anybody had their faith shaken this week? Anybody still having their faith shaken? Look to the throne. It's not vacant. King Jesus did not get unelected. And that should change the way we think. That should change the way we feel. That should change what we say and what we do because we know that that's really good news. Really good news, especially now. Look at this. I just want to work through this progression real quick. Watch this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now wait a minute. Hold hold up. Jesus is the heir of all things through whom God created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the United States by the word of his power. It is laughable. It's the universe. By the word of his power. Jesus speaks the word and the universe holds together. And we get rattled by an election. Now again, I'm talking to myself, y'all. I'm not beating y'all up. The very word of his mouth upholds the whole universe. He's much superior to angels. He's sat down at the right hand of God, having accomplished the work that he was sent to do. So then watch this. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment, unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. He, Jesus, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the Jesus who died for you, who saved you. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. Find your comfort there. Rest, rejoice in the forever reign of King Jesus. But it don't look like Jesus is King. Oh ho. Oh, oh. Then I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven... Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let me tell you what. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be no question. Who is king? And church, I hope that we can settle that question in our heads today. And every day going forward, who is king? Who is sovereign? Who is in authority? It is Jesus the Christ. Don't let that out there steal that from you. Don't let what you see, what you hear, what you think, what you feel steal this from you. And proclaim it. Jesus is king. Kanye was right, y'all. So that's David. That's the application point for David. Second is doctrine. Now watch this. Do not be caught being wrong about these things. We saw some very large truths in this passage today. Truths vital to making Christianity Christian. Uh, We talked some Wednesday, I think it was Jeannie, asked the question, what do we have to believe to make sure that we are Christian in our thought, in our belief? And that's a really good question to ask, by the way. Okay? And today, in our passage, we saw three vitally important doctrines. Okay? We saw biblical inspiration... We saw the Trinity, and we saw the deity of Christ. Now to be clear up front, you don't have to have these things figured out completely to be a Christian. But you do have to agree with them to be a Christian. You can't look at those doctrines and say, well, I don't believe that, and be Christian. You can't. Okay? So I'm not saying you've got to have them all figured out, because if you've got the Trinity figured out, we need to talk. Okay? Okay? We see Jesus saying that David said what he said in the Spirit. This is inspiration. We believe that the Bible teaches that God breathed out His Word, making that Word perfect, and it is all that we need in order to know Him. Okay? So that's the inspiration of Scripture. God inspired the Scriptures. If you don't believe that, You're on shaky ground. you got nothing to stand on. Because you you don't have an objective truth to point back to. And a God-breathed point to go back to and say, this is what God has definitely said. We've got that in the Scripture because God breathed out the Scriptures. We also saw in our passage today that the Lord, God the Father, said to the Lord, God the Son, that He would make His enemies His footstool. And it was recorded by God the Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit. One God... Three persons. We are patently Trinitarian. The way that God has chosen to operate from eternity past into eternity future is in triunity as the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And if you look at your salvation, your salvation is rooted in the triune nature of God. God is holy. God the Father is holy. Jesus came to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be holy. And that life can only be applied to you by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. If there is no Trinity, you are lost. You have to believe that. And I didn't say understand it. And don't go to the egg thing. Don't go to the water thing. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so you got to understand it, but I do, you do see the triunity of God in the Scriptures, which are breathed out by God. So there's another big doctrine that, you got to, that we see in our passage today. Jesus clearly showed the triunity of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, the other thing that Jesus clearly showed was that He is the Messiah. He is, was when He was speaking, and is today God. And people say that Jesus never said that he was God. I'm like, you're just not reading your Bible. Especially the Gospels, even though the the epistles and the other writings say it too. Jesus makes very bold claims that he is the Messiah who is the Son of God. And to be called the Son of God is to make yourself equal with God. That's why they picked up stones to stone him at one point. Because he, being a man, they said, makes himself equal with God. And Jesus said today, he is God. We've seen him say it in various ways all through Matthew and the rest of the New Testament makes it clear. And listen to me, without these three doctrines, the inerrancy of Scripture, the Trinity, and the deity of Jesus, you can't comprehend nor confess the true Christian faith. And this is not the only doctrines, okay? And actually I'm going to put up a couple of articles on the private Facebook page today that are really good to help you see what those doctrines are which are essential to the Christian faith. And we're not going to get into them this morning. We don't have time. But these three that we see here today are essential. And they are non-negotiables. I'm not going to negotiate on these. These are hills that I will die on. If somebody puts a gun to my head and says, if you believe Jesus is God, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to say, pull the trigger. Because I can't deny that truth that is evident through the Scriptures and through my life. Oh, you believe the Bible is the Word of God? I'm going to pull the trigger. Pull it. Because if it's not, I have no hope in this world. Trinity, pull the trigger. I'll die on those heels and a few others. But now be careful, because not every doctrine is an essential doctrine. In the essentials, unity. In non essentials, charity. No, no, unity. All things is charity. I don't have it written down. What is it? Somebody help me. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. That is, it's it. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We're not going to agree with everybody about every doctrine of the Scripture. So be careful and choose wisely which hills you are going to die on. And when you're going to die on those hills, die on those hills and make sure they're biblical doctrines that are clearly represented, clearly displayed in the Scripture. Don't argue against the essential doctrines. Try to pray, ask God, ask for counsel, ask for wisdom to understand them because if you're fighting against them, you're fighting against God. And we saw today that that don't work out too well. So, David, doctrine, our last application point is don't. Don't. D apostrophe OH if you're taking notes. Don't. Don't. Listen to me, please. Please listen to me. Me, listen to me. Stop arguing with God. You are wrong if you think that something he has said, commanded, or done is wrong. You want to talk about being on the wrong side of history? Argue with God. Tell God he's wrong. Tell God that his word is wrong. Tell God that his son is not God. Tell God that his spirit is not God. Tell God that his Bible is wrong. Tell God that we're much more sophisticated now in our modern time than he was when he had his word written. Give that one a shot. Stop arguing with God. Because I promise you, your argument with God is going to end with you saying, don't. And that's all you're going to have to say. The clay has nothing to say. History is God's story, and you don't get to shape or fashion it into your image. That's called idolatry. And when you make your God in your image, Bob read it this morning they who make them become like them, they have mouths and do not speak. They have noses and do not smell. They have hands or fingers and they do not touch or feel. You want to argue with God? You are going to be proven wrong. You are going to be punished. Watch this. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God, but we want to be seeker friendly. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, there's some nice people out there. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and ministry. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now hold on, who's he talking about? None. None. No one. Which means he's talking about everyone. But, but my grandma was a real nice person. She didn't believe in Jesus. She didn't understand. She didn't seek for God. Now we know, he goes on to say, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You want to argue with God? You're going to stand before His throne one day and you're going to be judged, and I promise you, you're not going to make your case well. Your mouth will be stopped. This high minded, self righteous attitude that is prevalent in the world and far too often in the church is going to be struck down before the throne of God one day. Every mouth will be stopped and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Shoot, what's our hope then? Ah. Therefore, God has highly exalted Christ Jesus, him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every mouth will be stopped, and every mouth from Adam to the last man will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is Lord. God made a promise that the Christ would come. He came. God showed us clearly through essential doctrines what we have to believe in order to trust this Christ, to know this Christ, to be saved by this Christ. And every argument that you raise up against Him will be stopped. Just like the Pharisees, scurrying away with their tails between their legs, knowing that they had been bested by God Himself, this God whom they claimed to have known. And as He stood before Him and stumped them, they missed Him. Oh, they wanted to argue, but they couldn't. They were done, they were finished. And the next argument they make will be to Pontius Pilate when they say, crucify him. And even then they thought they'd beaten him. Fools. Fools. And may we not be found to be fools today or on that final day. But today, today is the day of salvation. Today, we bend our knees, we bow our hearts, and we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if we don't, we are fighting against God himself, and the end thereof is destruction. The Lord has said to my Lord, sit at my right feet. That's the ultimate end of the enemies of God. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth. And we do pray today that you would sanctify us in that truth. Build us up. Encourage us. Speak against the things that hinder us from communion with you. Speak against the arguments that we clench our fists and make against you. Shut our mouths, God. My mouth. Shut my mouth. That I might not argue against you, your truth, your Christ, your plan. Like I know what is best for this world. Like I know what is true justice. Like I know what is goodness in and of myself. I do not. But you do. God, may we rest in the kingship of Jesus. May we proclaim the kingship of Jesus. And may we know the truth that set us free and make us yours. Help us, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Congregate outside. We're going to love you better out there.